Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shabbat, this week to discuss Hawaiian Airlines and Valeris' earnings. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this week? I'm good, Ned. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Gearing up for the busy Thanksgiving holiday travel season here in the U.S. They're uh, forecasting 30 million people could be hitting the skies, which would be a record. I mean, we shall see. I personally will not be hitting the hitting the skies, and I'm fine with that. But, uh, you know, just sort of, sort of seeing how it comes. I will not be flying either. And, uh, yeah, I am, uh, I'm also fine with that. <laughs> it is going to be very busy. Hopefully uh, things go off smoothly for those who are traveling. Absolutely. Hope everything everything goes well. But in the meantime, we are recording on Wednesday, November 15th, and the Dubai Air Show is wrapping up half a world away from us. And it has been a busy air show, especially for Boeing. Uh, they've racked, uh, they've they've locked in some big orders from Air Emirates, Fly Dubai, Ethiopian, uh, um, Sun Express, all of them ordering 777, 787 MAXs. Uh, all told, Boeing and Airbus have racked up about 339 orders at the time of recording. So it's it's been an impressive air show so far. Yeah, a lot a lot of demand still out there, and uh, yeah, wide body demand in particular. Um, boy, that uh, that Emirates order for triple seven X's really uh, Boeing probably is uh, extremely relieved to have received that order. It's funny. So uh, one of our colleagues was spoke to Tim. <laughs> Tim Clark, the president of Emirates uh, in Dubai. And, you know, he said, despite all of the delays that the 777X program has had, and it's about five years late at this point, he's still, he's confident in the 7779 being a good airplane for Emirates. And, you know, they clearly show it. They've got, I believe it's more than 200 firm orders for the 777-9 and 8 at this point, which is significant. And Boeing's got to be like breathing a sigh of relief because the 777X really hasn't sold that well since the initial flurry of orders a decade ago. Right, right. You remember what uh, Steve Hazy said in uh, in Fort Worth at uh, the Skift Aviation Forum. He was uh, not terribly uh, kind to the 777X saying that it was, you know, you don't really get that much more, uh, you know, that much more uh, bang for your buck than the triple seven three hundred ER, but it does cost quite a bit more. Um, so you know his firm hasn't ordered any, and of course it's you know been five years late. Now it is, uh, yeah, it's going to be. I mean, Emirates really does like the big planes, the very big planes. It's uh, it's going to be Lots very good for flow car. through through that Dubai hub. Lots, Lots of flow. flow. Yep, a lot of volume, and uh, you know you keep costs the unit cost down uh, with with aircraft of that size. Now it's also great cargo. Going to be great cargo aircraft too. So. That's uh, another reason why Emirates uh, likes it. There could be, you know, you know, could be some politics involved, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, why does the UAE or UAE order all these, uh, you know, giant planes from Emirates and Boeing? There may be some, uh, some, some diplomacy involved as far as, uh, you know, government Absolutely. to government. But, uh, but you know, that aside, uh, they'll they'll be able to use the triple sevens, uh, you know, in uh, it'll it'll be it'll be good for the Dubai hub. Now for the sure. other thing is, what? yeah. Sorry. No, I was going to Go say ahead. one of the interesting things in all of these deals, and, and I've been reading this, um, is the the 777X is competing with the A350-1000, and, and we've seen many airlines, some airlines selected the 1000. Qantas notably went for the Dash 1000 for their uh, Project Sunrise routes. But I've been reading there are issues with the engine on the Dash 1000 that you know are especially pronounced in hot airports, hot like like 
where Dubai hub. And uh, was it Clark told Skift that the engines produce only a quarter of the performance that Emirates needs to fly its you know long range high volume routes, which is a huge knock. And and I've heard anecdotally that Etihad takes a lot of weight restrictions on their A three fifty one thousands out of Abu Dhabi. It's uh, I. I didn't realize there were so many issues with the engines. Of course, uh, it's my fault for not having followed that closer, but I was, it's, that's definitely an issue. Yeah. And I think it's even worse in the Middle East because you've got the issue with sand and that's, that's, that's an issue with, uh, with these engines too, that a lot of sand can get in the engines in a desert, you know, environment. So there's that, but, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's only really, it's really only five or six airlines, major airlines in the world that are currently flying that variant, the A350-1000. It's like uh, Etihad, Qatar, Cathay Pacific, British Airways, and Virgin Atlantic, I think, I believe, are the only ones. Um, I think maybe some of the Air Caribs and French B, I see them on there too, but <laughs> we'll put right. them aside. They're very small. They just have a handful each. But uh, yeah, it is um, an aircraft that seems to uh, have some performance issues. Now, that hasn't stopped some airlines like Air India and EVA and uh, there have been Qantas, a few Qantas, you mentioned Project Qantas, Sunrise yeah. order. It's, yeah, Just I mean, airlines mentioned. are still ordering it, but. Um... Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I I suppose, you know, the, the delivery lead times on, on these planes are, uh, you know, they're several years out now. And I suppose they're hoping that uh, that Rolls-Royce eventually, you know, gets gets makes the engines better by the time they, they have delivery. So that could happen. Um, and then besides, you know, if you're if you need a plane that size for cargo or passenger, whatever, um, and your only other option is really to order the triple seven X. And we just mentioned there were some issues with that. And uh, you know, that's also a plane that you're you, you probably you probably get an A350 1000 faster than you can a triple seven X at this point. So there's timing issues too. Uh, so you can see airlines are kind of <laughs> in this familiar dilemma that we've uh, mentioned a lot on uh, on our podcast. You know, we're just airlines struggling to to get the planes they want <laughs> at the time they want them. Right, right. You know, so one thing that I'm I'm wondering is with the triples with the A three fifty one thousand. One of the things the the performance. So Clark was talking about you know Emirates probably wants it to fly long flights Dubai the U S Dubai Australia you know places like like. I'm looking at Virgin and they fly the 350-1000 and they're doing like London to the U.S. East Coast. And I'm like, a route like that doesn't need the same performance characteristics that Dubai to the East Coast needs. They just, they don't have the heat in London. The range is far shorter. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if the 350-1000 is at this point, not necessarily down, but at this point is just a much better sort of medium range, high capacity, wide body. But I, I don't know. I could be completely wrong on that. It's uh, it's interesting. Um, yeah, it could be. Yeah, the engines, I mean, that does seem to be the issue there is range. I know there's engines, I suppose. I'm not an engine expert by any means, but that seems to be it. And, uh, you know, I don't know why you would need that plan. I mean, if you're only doing it to the U.S., I mean, you wouldn't really but well maybe a virgin because you're hemmed in by heathrow capacity uh, constraints that's always the issue you know british airways has uh has these as well right and, and they we've always, talked you know, about how an airline in a airport where they can't grow needs to grow seats rather than flights because yeah so definitely there's a logic there to to flying one of your largest wide bodies you can right totally and then and and that's you know that's why the british airways flies a380s as well i mean they always they they for certain routes, 
you can justify just the absolute biggest plane possible because your your capacity is so so limited at Heathrow. And uh, now you know that's becoming a big issue at Amsterdam, which I know you've been reading a lot, writing a lot about, uh, Ned. And who knows, you know, I think Air France did, yeah, they did order a through fifty one thousands, and perhaps, yeah, and perhaps some of them will wind up in in Amsterdam as well. Uh, so, but yeah, that's that's probably the bet is that you know Rolls Royce over time will address these issues. But yeah. for now, well, you, you um, just reminded me because Air France KLM definitely uh, one of the things I talked about was the the range on the one thousand was just a bit better for their performance needs being they have to avoid Russian airspace. So I don't know. I don't fully yeah, understand right, the problem, right. but mm-hmm. it's uh there's definitely something going on there. And for all you know, Tim Clark should be could be using a war of words to get a better deal for some A350s. That's always possible too. So but it, it seems like there are some issues with with the 1000 meeting its full performance uh specs at this point. And I full trust in Rolls Royce and Airbus to eventually meet those specs but it's uh there's there's something there's some questions around it right now yeah yeah they um now that to be clear like the a through 5900 you know fabulous plane everybody Great seems plane. to really like that and very popular um totally different engines though on those uh so no no issues there uh just switching uh not to uh you know abruptly switch topics here but uh, another dubai airshow order that i thought was very interesting is fly dubai for the first time is getting wide bodies Yes. And that just makes it's it boggles my mind because we have talked a lot about long haul, uh, low cost wide bodies are just really hard to do profitably. Fly Dubai has built a great operation flying narrow bodies to points out of Dubai. And that really dovetails nicely with Emirates. They, they have connectivity across the two airlines because Emirates is all wide body. But now they're going for 787s. It's it, it, I really, I mean, are they long haul low cost? Maybe they're not. It's what what market segment are they going for when they've got Emirates sitting there already? Right, right. I'd be curious to see where they deploy those planes. Um, yeah, that's, uh, and it, it just seems like there's, it's just a bottomless pit of demand in a place like that. It's, they're, uh, they just, uh, you know, more and more and more capacity. And you wonder at some point, you know, does Emirates already, I guess, work somewhat closely with Fly Dubai, but, you know, will there be some further integration there over time? I don't know. Um, and then we have been talking about, uh, Ned, how there are definitely some issues. I don't know how universal it is throughout the Middle East and the Gulf, but there have been some issues with oversupply um, in that region currently. I know uh, Kuwait's uh, Jazeera Airways has talked about on their call. They were uh, you know, adamant that there's just way, way too much capacity and uh, they still made money. They had a good decent quarter, but not nearly as good as they usually do, um, just because they've had, you know, if you think about just the UAE alone, you've had, uh, you know, Emirates put a whole bunch of new capacity into Kuwait and, and fly Dubai, and then you have Etihad, then you also have low-cost carriers uh, like Wiz, the new ones, like, uh, you know, Wiz Air has its thing in Abu Dhabi, and Air Arabia has its thing in Abu Dhabi, and I'm probably forgetting one or two, but it's just a lot of new capacity. There is. And we've got what Riyadh Air coming into into Saudi in the next few years. There's a lot of capacity going in the region. And um, did you, I, I, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is Turkey, which is boomed during the pandemic or coming out of the pandemic, is uh, we're seeing both Turkish and Pegasus report some weakening yields there just because the capacity has grown so much. So it does make me wonder if growth needs to slow down a bit to, as, uh, as demand catches up. Yeah, particularly on Pegasus side. I mean, I think Turkey's doing better because they're they're avoiding some of that because a lot of their 
uh, flying is just very long haul, which is not exposed to some of the stuff we're talking about. But, right. you know, I know like Turkey's U.S. markets are just still gangbusters. But Pegasus, for sure, they, um, you know, their their profits came down. It still did very well again, but uh, but they their uh, their profits came down quite a lot this uh, this third quarter uh, from sure. both last year and 2019 because of some of these issues that we're talking about, a lot, a lot of new capacity in there. For sure. And the last thing I want to highlight from the Dubai Air Show before we take a break is Ethiopian's order for 787s and 737 Maxes, which really jumps out at me because, of course, Ethiopian was one of the 737 Maxes that crashed in 2019 before the end prompted the grounding of the plane. So I think it's definitely a statement that Boeing has done a very good job at rebuilding that relationship uh, or at least providing a lot of incentives to Ethiopian to, to win a new order from them. Yeah, yeah, and out of Sababa, the, the hub over there is uh, kind of like a mini Dubai. They're trying to trying to turn into like a mini mini Dubai, and it's <laughs> I connected geography's... through there a few years ago, Jay. And oh, I you did. Remember, oh. I was like, I was expecting it to be more Dubai like. It's um, it's got a ways to go to to be like Dubai in terms of feel, but yes, the connectivity is very good for Africa. Right, right. Well, I think the infrastructure investment, and they are. I, I haven't checked recently, but I think they were building a new airport. Right, as a no, um, wow. No, I didn't know that, but that's, well, that's, we'll, that's awesome. We'll have to double check that. I mean, there were plans for one anyway, but uh, we'll update that in our, in our airline weekly uh, uh, newsletter. But um, but in any case, yeah, they've, they've tried to, uh, and then they've done an incredible job in, uh, you know, kind of creating a mini Dubai there. There is, the geography is not quite as good as Dubai, but it is it does work on a lot of different itineraries. Um, if you think about, I mean, they were, for a while, they were doing a lot of, business between let's say you know africa and china or latin america and china they they that was a big help for them you know china's economic rise that's probably cooled off a bit um but a lot of traffic flows like that there, there are others too but uh they um yeah apparently they uh they still think they can grow it hence the additional you know aircraft orders here so yeah, yeah that's a very very interesting airline and a big, big success success story perhaps unfortunately the only really airline success story in all of sub-Saharan Africa, uh, sad to say, but, um, you know, Kenya Airways has had problems and South African Airways basically, you know, doesn't really exist anymore and anything like it used to. So, uh, yeah, Ethiopian's kind of always been the all-star performer there. And they've got now subsidiaries or at least uh, investments in airlines across the continent. So, yeah, pretty, very interesting story. For sure, for sure. With that, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to fly off to Asia for the second half. And we're back. Jay, tell us about Korean Air's numbers. How did they do in the third quarter? Yeah, so Korean Air um, did not nearly as well as they were doing during the pandemic. So they were one of the few airlines in the world that even in 2020, when the world was uh, for airlines was just blowing apart, they actually had a great year, and there's really just one word explains it. I'll, I'll let you say the word, uh, Ned. Cargo. Cargo. And uh, they um, are a very big cargo player. Uh, remember, Korea has a very uh, export-oriented economy, so they're, uh, you know, you can imagine a company like Samsung or LG. They, these, these companies are just moving, like, lots of lots of stuff on, uh, on Korean Air uh, cargo planes and in the belly of their passenger planes. Um, a lot of you know Chinese exports move uh, on Korean airplanes as well, uh, but that's cooled off a lot about a lot um, 
just in the past year. So for the third quarter, there to be to be clear, we always knew that was going to happen when belly yeah. capacity came back. The demand for um, full cargo planes was going to fall. We we knew that was going to happen. Airlines knew this. It was yeah, it's not an unexpected trend. Correct. Right. Yeah. No, no huge surprises. I mean, that was uh, kind of a once in a lifetime, very unusual situation. So uh, yeah, no, no big surprises there. Uh, now I should, we should probably add that we're speaking on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday afternoon. Uh, we get to throw that in there. Um, so Korean air, uh, I'll give you the numbers um, for the third quarter, they, uh, their operating margin was 13.5%. So, you know, nothing, nothing to be ashamed of there. It's a pretty, pretty solid, uh, operating margin, but they did do last year, as recently as last year, they had a 23% margin. So they were, you know, one of the most profitable airlines in the world last year. And going back, if you go back, you know, to the 2010s, they were not a particularly profitable airline. I mean, they did okay. The margins were decent. They always had a lot of debt, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of competition, but uh, they seem to be, um, you know, I don't know what their steady state is. If, uh, if this is, you know, how things are going forward. But for now, they 13.5% for the summer, which is pretty good. Passenger demand, uh, very strong coming out of the pandemic. Remember that, you know, Asian borders, a lot of these countries in Asia, but borders were still closed as recently as, uh, you know, as 2022, they really opened late that year. So they are, um, you know, kind of experiencing just still, it's still kind of the, I don't want to say early stages, but uh, the so-called revenge travel hasn't really exhausted itself yet in Asia, whereas that might have been, you know, might be the case in the U.S. or in certain U.S. markets anyway, and maybe the case next year in tra- transatlantic, but that's another story. But yeah, Korean Air, the passenger business um, is, as I said, doing well, and a lot of that is, uh, you know, I think local demand, uh, long haul in particular, uh, a lot of Americans, uh, Korean Americans going home, you know, visiting their families for the first time since the pandemic. There's a lot of that. Um, they said Europe to Korea is very strong. And uh, let's Korean... just remember, like Seoul is just a fantastic hub. Delta continually touts it. Delta and Korean Air have a joint venture, and Delta continually touts it as one of the fantastic transfer gateway into into Asia for them. They feed a lot of passengers over there. Over yeah, over probably Korea. exactly, probably probably the best hub in in Northeast Asia, and uh, and that kind of brings me to the um what i was going to say about uh another sort of component of their demand strength right now is the us to china passing through the seoul hub a uh, seoul and chan hub uh, that is very very strong right now because as we've talked about before you don't have the non-stop capacity between the us and china that you used to because of issues with russian over over flights and and whatnot um we've we've talked about that on previous podcasts but in any case korean air is definitely capturing a lot of that demand. Um, and uh, yeah, and they're getting, you know, the Korean outbound demand, uh, leisure demand to, to Vietnam is a big tourist destination for Koreans. That's doing well. You know, Thailand, I'm sure is good. And uh, they, they said the Japan-Korea market, which is big, um, is doing very well. Whereas at least they, I think they said it was starting to grow again. It was, um, I know even before the pandemic, there were some issues, uh, some, some political tensions that, that, uh, depressed that market somewhat, but, uh, but that's doing well. So yeah, very good story, good story overall on the passenger side, but less good on the cargo side. I should also add, uh, that Korean air wants to merge with their rival Asiana. Now Asiana is their third quarter operating margin was just 7%. Same situation for them. 
had a great, you know, pandemic because of cargo. And now that's that party's coming to an end. Uh, and, you know, 7%, uh, that's not for third, you know, peak third quarter, not terribly encouraging uh, there. But Korean Air still wants to go through with their takeover. It's still, you know, they're, Asiana is still deciding what it wants to do. And they're, you know, think they're, I think they have a deal to sell their, to actually sell their cargo unit um, to kind of placate the regulators, the competition regulators. Uh, in Europe, the U.S., Japan, they have not yet signed off on this. So that's still up in the air, uh, that merger, but, um, uh, you know, very much still in play. Uh, so that's your story with Korean Air. Um, yeah, they're, uh, that's that's the... It's, that's it's, the, it's uh, good news, you know, even as things, even with cargo down and, and the merger pending, it's still, a you know, Korean Air is just one of those Asian airlines that just continues to do well, even if yeah, not quite yeah. as well. <laughs> Right. I, th- I think for now it's doing well. We'll see how things go, you know, go- going forward. I think honestly, a lot depends on what happens with competition in that region. And, you know, Asiana certainly, you know, if they don't merge, well, what happens to Asiana? Are they a weak competitor that Korean Air could take advantage of? Do they become stronger again? Hard to say. And then there's all these other little low cost carriers out there like Jeju Air and uh, Korean Air actually owns part of Jin Air, but uh, Asiana has a few Air Busan, which I think they're trying to sell, and Air Seoul. And there's a whole, <laughs> there's there's a, a lot of new low cost capacity has kind of cropped up in that whole Northeast Asia region over you know the last 10, 15 years pre pandemic. Um, so all that now Korean Air, you can go in, you know they have a very complex fleet which probably doesn't serve them well. They're getting their A321. They're actually putting lie flat seats on their A321 Neos, which is interesting. And uh, they, but they do have you know. They pretty much order everything out of the Airbus catalog, everything out of the Boeing catalog, and partly that's because they do have a uh, a maintenance subsidiary or like a uh, yeah, I guess you could well not a maintenance, but you could like an aircraft uh, uh, component and uh, aircraft supplier. I guess they're a big supplier to both Boeing and Airbus, so they uh, I think they want to buy buy their products because they're customers. So there's uh, there's there's that as well. Yes. And that's absolutely. a pretty big, and that's not, that's a pretty de- decent sized part of the Korean air business, their uh, aerospace subsidiary. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Jay, with that, we're going to wrap up another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Uh, listeners, next week, you're going to get another EPA panel from the Skift Aviation Forum as Jay and I are going to be out for the Thanksgiving holiday. In the meantime, if you need to reach either of us, you can catch me at er at skift.com. You can catch Jay at js at skift.com. Jay, it's always a pleasure. Likewise, Ned, and be sure to check out our LinkedIn pages where I've been posting uh, kind of regular updates on the uh, third quarter operating margins, who's the best, who's the worst kind of thing. So check that out. And uh, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll uh, Ned and I will see you in two weeks after Thanksgiving holiday. So for anybody who's celebrating, happy, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. <laughs>